Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samhasam buddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samhasam buddhasa Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one Namo Saranto Suchedo Ye Olahudi San Miao San Putoshe Namo Saranto Suchedo Ye Olahudi San Miao San Putoshe Wu Shang Shen Shen Wei Miao Fa Bai Chien Wan Che Nan Zao Yu Wu Jin Jen Wan De Shou Chi the unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma in a hundred thousand million eons is difficult to encounter. Now that I've come to receive and hold it within my sight and hearing, I vow to fathom the thus come one's true and actual meaning. 师父上人,各位师兄大家,阿弥陀佛 Venerable Master, Dharma friends, this is uh, Saturday night, March the 5th. We're in Berkeley, California, and we're going to explain the Ten Grounds chapter of the Avatamsaka Sutra. <coughs> Before we begin, please uh, join with me and turn to the front cover of your sutra text here. We're going to chant the name of the sutra and the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas of that assembly. Namo da fang guang fu Yeah. 
Please turn to page 18 and 19. We're down on the next to last paragraph in our text. Is, is my voice loud enough in the back? Michael, can you hear me? Yeah, I think it needs to go up. The volume is up there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next to last paragraph. In the Chinese, if you start at the very, very, very bottom, uh, where it says chi, chi, and count up one, two, three, four, five, six. Six lines from the bottom in the Chinese. It says, Chen Hui Zhi Zui. And on English, it's next to last paragraph. Okay, everybody find it? Okay, let's read the Chinese together. Chen Hui Zhi Zui. Yi Ling Zhong Shang. Duo San E Dao. Okay, over to the right. The offense of anger and hatred. Also causes living beings to fall into the three evil paths. If they're born among people, they have two kinds of retribution. One, other people will always find fault with them. Two, they will constantly be troubled and harmed by others. We've come to the uh, number nine out of ten evil deeds and their retribution. And it's next to last, which is not particularly significant, but what is significant is that it's uh, the second of the evil deeds of the mind. And the evil deeds of the mind are in a sequence. Kenny, can you boost the volume a little bit? Too too quiet. So we've had three with the body. That's better. Thank you. Good. Three with the body, four with the mouth, three with the mind. And this is the second one with the mind. So 
it's, they, they make more sense if you look at them as one, two, three, evil deeds with the mind. And again, we've, uh, back when we were starting on this 10, we spent a lot of time every week talking about evil and unpacking that word because that's a, that's a powerful word in English. Most people think about good and evil immediately as philosophy, and they, they think about great good and great evil, and it's kind of, are you a, do you believe it or do you not? Uh, do you think great evil exists in the world? The Buddha was not interested in philosophy, and we, we use that word evil because it translates the Chinese word u. And when it comes to things that you do, things that I do, that exists. I can find u, that word in Chinese, relating to um, misdeeds, things that and probably we'd be better off uh, we'd be better off avoiding that word evil just because it, it immediately plugs into philosophy in the West. You think all oh, good and evil. Um, a better word, probably a better word for it would be something like misdeed or harm. Uh, offense is also, we translated it here as offense and offense. And offense means things that people do, behavior that people do that um, offends you and others, hurts you. You could even say harms, harmful thing. Probably closer to say harmful thing to what the Buddha meant. What does it harm? It harms our progress towards liberation, which means getting free from misery. It harms our um, goodness. It harms our well-being. harms your peace of mind. makes me suffer when I create an offense. That's the way the Buddha said it. It's kind of like, you know that old joke. It's funny, this old joke, I thought it was such a standard that when I told it, everybody would go, ha, 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 yeah, yeah, the old joke. And every time I tell it, people go, what? What old joke is that? It's the one where the guy comes up and says, hey, mister, why are you hitting yourself in the head with a hammer? Right? Hey, mister, why are you hitting yourself in the head with a hammer? And the guy says, you ready for the punchline? The guy says, because it feels so good when I stop. (laughs) Hey, it worked. That's called an old joke, right? That's a really old joke. And you go, dumb. That's so dumb. But it's true. Why do you hit yourself in the head with a hammer? Because it feels good when I stop doing it. So this person is so hungry to feel good that he'll hurt himself first in order he can feel good by stopping the hurt. You go, dumb. That's really dumb. Okay, the Buddha is right there with that joke. He's saying, when are you going to stop killing, stealing, lusting? It will feel good when you stop. It'll feel really good when you stop. The problem is we don't necessarily recognize that those are hurting us. Everybody says it's good when we switch the name. For example, killing other living beings for food. Mm, doesn't help us. That's like hitting ourselves in the head with a hammer. We think the, the, the meat tastes good. In fact, it does, but there's an invisible price tag. Maybe it tastes, you know, barbecue has that flavor. Makes your taste buds go zing 
but invisibly you tied up a debt with the creature whose body you ate. Plus, you're making yourself sick with the most poisonous, polluted food, nutrition on the planet. Um, 80, now it's 80, imagine. 80% of the antibiotics sold in America are sold to the meat and dairy industry, not to doctors and sick people in hospitals. Four out of five antibiotics go into the animals that go into our bodies through the milk and the meat. And how often do you want to take medicine when you're not sick? You don't. You take medicine when you're not sick, what happens is when you're sick, it doesn't work. So everybody's upset in Atlanta at the Center for Disease Control because people are already full of antibiotics. If a big bug comes that they need to use antibiotics to cure, it's not going to work because we're resistant already. We've got the tolerance built up. 80% of the antibiotics in the world, produced in America, that is, are going to livestock. And then it goes into our bodies. Not a good thing to take medicine when you're not sick. Antibiotics were originally cured to be what they called wonder drugs. That was the original use of the word wonder drug, was antibiotics. So now we're getting them in bacon, cheese, any of those big animals. We're taking antibiotics in. So um, we think it tastes good, but there's a hidden price tag, right? So the Buddha's saying, right, that's the first of the evil deeds of the body. There's a bunch more, too. So it feels so good when we stop. The Buddha's saying, do you recognize how much this hurts? So among those of the mind is greed, anger, and delusion. Greed, anger, and delusion. Um, maybe somebody can help her out, John. Um, the uh, offensive anger, says the Buddha, what's the offensive anger like? The offensive anger is the result, usually, of the offense of greed, usually. Okay? The offense of anger and hatred, it says, Chen Hui Zui. What about it? Yi Ling Zhong Sheng Duo San can also cause people to lose their human bodies, says the Buddha. That's how serious it can be. If you also have wholesome karma and you don't lose your human body, what happens? Two things will happen. You come back as a human, but you get two kinds of lifestyle changes as a result of the anger that came from me. What are they? One, chang bei taren chou qi chang duan. People always pick on you. They pick on you and they're always, the, the, um, the Chinese is really ex- explicit. What does it say? People will always seek your longs and shorts, your chang and your duan. Chang means long, duan means short and distance. People will always look for those points. In other words, you're going to be constantly criticized by people. People will always look at you, not with friendly eyes, not with easygoing eyes, but with critical fault-finding eyes. Because from you, from your mouth, from your heart, from your mind, from your energy, from your color, from your, your presence came this 
anger, this use of your energy that made other people want to run away or take cover or put up titanium shields, right? Kryptonite shields because your anger made them upset. Okay, says the Buddha. That's number one. Two, the second lifestyle state that's going to be your reality if you constantly are angry is harm is going to come your way. Nao hai means nao, means hassled. Hai means out and out harm. People are going to hassle you. They're going to get in your face and cause you trouble. High is serious harm. They'll harm you. Why? Okay, simplest way to explain this principle is our take a step back. Some concepts that are Buddhist-like have made it into our popular culture. One of those is the phrase, what goes around comes around. Right? You've all heard that one. That's about as um, colloquial a version of cause and effect as you can get. What goes around comes around. That really makes sense. We hear that and we go, hmm. You send it out and it comes back. It's not you send it out and it's gone. Straight line. No, it's circular. Um, boomerang style. Somehow, in the West, that makes sense. We hear that, we go, yeah, I get that. What goes around comes around. So that is for sure the same idea that the Buddha is describing here. He's saying, if I get angry a lot, the result, when that anger that comes out of me returns, I'm going to get a full measure of what I sent out. The more um, physics, more hard science description of this is actions produce equal and opposite reactions. Newton, right? Newtonian physics, basic physics principle. Things that go out come back in equal measure. Actions produce equal reactions and opposite. So you get the opposite. Uh, said Newton. In other words, not meaning good produces evil, not that kind of opposite, but the mirror of what you send out. So if I am angry all the time, what happens is other people send it back, or it comes back to me through other people who show me anger to the point of harming. All right. (coughs) That's our text. That's what the text says. One, we're going to be... picked on. People will find fault with me all the time. My longs and shorts. Talking about me. They're always going to be on my case because of the anger I send out. Two, people are going to hurt me. Now, hi. Trouble me and hurt me. Okay. Now, we've, we've had good luck with this text by flipping it over and looking at the, the reverse, if the harm side is true, what about the positive help side? Does that also work? Now, it's not specifically what the text says, 
for example, the offense of killing, we flipped it over and said, what about giving life? What about the virtue of extending, nourishing life? What does that do? So let's take a look. The offense of anger, people say the opposite of anger might be patience. Some people say kindness would be the opposite of anger. So the blessing, the virtue of kindness can also keep you in your human body. If you're born among people and you're you're kind, number one, you get two retributions. Number one is people leave you alone. People leave you alone. They don't always find fault with you. Two, people benefit you. Good things come your way. Not harm, not hassle. Now, hi. Ooh, now, hi, me. Right? They don't trouble and hassle you and harm you. Because why? You sent out kindness and patience. All right. There you go. That sounds pretty clear. I mean, that's, that works. You can do that. Flip it over. Now, <clears throat> I know people who come to a monastery, and what do they want? They want the experience of meditation. They come to a Buddhist monastery. They want to soak up the peace of peacefulness. Some people really like the incense. They come to smell the incense. Other people do not. Some people hate the incense. They say, oh, my God, it's going to cause cancer. Is that carcinogenic? I am sensitive fragrant, fragrant sensitive. You know, okay. If you are, that's not a joke. Being fragrance sensitive can give, increase, increase people's asthma if they have it. Um, so there are people who really do not like the incense. Some people come because they like the ambiance. They like the jingjie here. They like the, uh, the atmosphere of a monastery. It's, things feel more in order in a monastery. It's not chaotic. There's not the stuff that accumulates in a house, in a family, around the monastery. There's clean space, clean white walls. The food is, doesn't have that invisible price tag. And the other thing about a monastery is it's, it has a sense of having been in place a long time. Monasteries haven't changed. For Buddha's, if it's Buddha style, 2,500 years. If you go to Abhayagiri, Forest Monastery in Redwood Valley, you'll see a lifestyle that is nearly, with very, very few changes, nearly the same as when the Buddha was in the world. The monks do live under trees. They have a roof over their head. They have these huts called kutis, right? little huts, maopong in Chinese. But they're except for that roof and and a door to close, they're living in the woods, under trees. So that's a traditional lifestyle. The Chinese tradition, we're in a Chinese tradition, which is uh, adapted that lifestyle to the Chinese uh, cultural milieu. So it's a little different, but a monk from the Tang Dynasty would come to the Berkeley Monastery and feel pretty much at home. He would know as much as a left home person feels at home, right? He would feel, she would feel 
familiar with the offerings, with the, the schedule, with the expectations. So, been pretty much the same all this time. Not much different. Now, um, many, many people who I know, Westerners who come to a monastery, don't expect to come to the monastery and be told to watch their anger and their temper, to be cautioned, kind of with a finger in your face, about don't get angry. That's kind of a surprise to a lot of people. Why? When I come to a Buddhist monastery where I want to plug into the stillness and the meditation, smell the incense and eat the vegetable food, why do I get told about my character, my flaws? Well, me too. I'll sign up on that list. I didn't expect that. That was a surprise to me. When I got to Gold Mountain Monastery, San Francisco, In 1972, that's what I met. I didn't hear about enlightenment. We meditated because that was Master Shrenhua, our teacher, was a Chan master, Zen master. But boy, oh boy, he talked about not getting angry all the time. All the time. That was what you heard in a thousand varieties. He said, what I consider cultivation is... What is real Gong Fu? Real Gong Fu is Nang Bu Sheng Qi, is the ability to not get angry. He meant it. That was not just a casual comment or just his style. He meant it. He really meant That's how he taught. And there's an entire understanding behind that principle that I, let me explain tonight. The understanding behind that teaching is that our nature, our nature doesn't start out angry. Human nature, which flips over into the Buddha nature, doesn't start out angry. It doesn't start out greedy. It doesn't start out deluded or confused. But we confuse it. We make it angry, we make it greedy. We allow what are called poisons, the three poisons, to come out of our nature, which is also there, and we let them sit. And it covers over our already bright nature, says the Buddha. That's what happens. So because that happens to all of us, it's really hard to avoid. The Buddha's teaching is simply ways to deal with it, ways to to change that, ways to cope with it when it happens, recognize it, see it for what it is, and then use it to go back to that state of purity and stillness and light that the Buddha described as our basic share. So, that's the theory. Instead of seeking to get enlightened, Master Shrenhua would say, just remove the anger and you're back. If you go seeking for enlightenment, guess what? Not only are you angry, but you've got a level of seeking on top of it. There's a self who wants something, 
You want to get it bad and you want to, and damn it, I'm missing, oh, angry. Not enlightened yet. Oops, wrong direction. So that's the way he taught it. And it wasn't clear immediately that that was going to work. How come? I thought you just get in, you just meditate, right? You meditate until you get enlightened. Somebody gets in. It's kind of a race. First one to enlightenment wins. I'll sit still. Not you, is it? I hope it's not him. Okay, me. You know, you wind up greedy for enlightenment. But Master Hua said, no, just transform your anger, and that's the secret. So that wasn't clear to me until I understood the principle behind it. You make progress by subtraction. Seems counterintuitive. How do you get to enlightenment? Fastest way is get rid of the stuff that's stuck on top of your awakened nature. You don't have to get anything else. In fact, everything that you seek will slow you down and even obstruct you. So that's the idea. That's how, this, that's how it was taught. And so with that in mind, oh, this looks different now. The offense of anger, the obstacle, the hitting yourself in the head with a hammer of anger, can serious if it's really bad, if you really rage a lot, you can lose your human body. If you don't, if it's not that serious, but you still do it a lot, you come back with a human body, what happens is the people around you somehow spontaneously, doesn't, you can't remember why, but they're always finding fault with you. You're constantly being picked on by people. And two, they will carry it into punching you out or really troubling you. Out of the blue, for seemingly no reason at all, things go wrong with you. People trouble you, hassle you. It's always in a conflict. The Buddha would say, not for no reason. It didn't happen out of the blue. It's not by itself. But you forgot or you're so used to getting angry that it didn't occur to you that that was really explosive when you did it. Okay? So that's the idea. And the Buddha, by saying this, is not shaking his finger in your face and saying, and I don't like you either. Bad cultivator. Not. It's not. It's really the opposite. He's so compassionate. He's saying, boy, I would so much like to get you where I have gone. I would like to get you safely to nirvana. I'd like to get you awake so you can stop hurting because it's no fun. The Buddha's connected to us with his compassion. When we hurt, he hurts. I'd like that to stop, so please avoid these obstacles and you'll get there quick. So it's really from a heart of it's a it's a fatherly fatherly kind of compassion might be tough love it's actually it's clinical it's very much like a doctor saying you know your disease is caused by this i'm going to now pull it out please don't stick your please don't hit yourself with the hammer anymore once i show you that simply you you can stop hurting quicker if you don't hit yourself with the hammer Okay, 
There we go. That's it. That's the idea. Um, <clears throat> so that's why when you come to a Buddhist monastery, you hear about this stuff, these character critiques, which are actually, from that point of view, they're therapeutic. Sounds like psychotherapy. Getting into the mind and correcting it. So, what is anger? It's an emotion, first of all. And emotions, from the Buddha's description, are part of what are called the skandhas, the components of our personality. The second of those components, the second skanda, skanda is a Sanskrit word which means heap, Component. Just think of your computer. Keyboard, mouse, monitor, CPU, hard drive, etc. You need all those components to make the computer work. Individually, they're just pieces. The Buddha said our personality is the same. The second one is called feelings. Vedana. And feelings includes two things. It includes sensation, like the the feeling of pressure when I impact my face, pinch, feeling, cold, feeling. But also, feelings that move into thoughts, into the mind, which are what? Emotions. Emotions have sensation. When you get angry, you can feel very cold, feel very hot, you feel your temperature rise, right? You can feel your face turn black, sometimes red, sometimes green, sometimes white. There's changes in the body when we get angry. Those are sensations. But there's also sensations that have thoughts involved. Anger. Thoughts of anger. You want to kill somebody. You want to punch somebody's face. Right? Those are the emotions. So, the Buddha says, everybody's got them. That's the second component of our personality. It's the second skanda called feelings. Skanda. Vedana. So, what else is an emotion? How do we recognize an emotion? There are, from the Buddhist list, seven. Seven emotions. Qi Qing, they're called. Qi Nu, Ai, Qi, Ai, Wu, Yu. They are. Qi, happiness. Nu, anger. Ai, Grief, xinu, ai, ju, fear, love, hate, and emo- desire is the last one. Xinu, ai, ju, ai, wu, yu. All right, that's the seven. Happiness, anger, there's the one. Nu, ai, grief, ju, fear, ai, Wu, yu, love, hate, and that wu is kind of like disdain. It's not it's love. It's the hate that love flips into, right? It's not the anger hate, but it's it is. It's it's a different kind of anger and hate have a different flavor there. And then the last one is desire, and desire divides into further into desire, different kinds of desire. So, emotions, emotions are part of our makeup. They're something that we're built with. 
They come with them. And the Buddha's analysis, I like it because he shows us where in my personality it lives, how to find it, how to recognize it. Um, Growing up as a kid, nobody necessarily said anger was bad. How do we learn how to grow up and how to be a person? We learn from our models. Usually it's parents, right? But since television came into the world, we had other models. I grew up uh, in middle America, and I was part of the first television generation. And I watched westerns. Oh, did I watch westerns? Um, Have Gun, Will Travel, Paladin, right? Gunsmoke, Marshal Matt Dillon, and what else? Uh, Sugarfoot, um, Bronco Lane, um, Maverick, um, the, let's see, what was it called? The, um, I can remember the gun, but I can't remember the name of the show. The gun, let's see, The Gunslinger, is that it? Anyway, there was probably 15 Western shows that I watched regularly growing up. And every week, I would be there in front of the TV waiting to see about Matt Dillon and Gunsmoke. How did he uh, settle conflict? The theme through all of those uh, Western television shows and the movies, countless movies, was that an acceptable way to settle conflict was to pull a gun and shoot someone dead. And of course, if you're more skillful, you just shot the gun out of his hand, right? Unless they were really bad and they deserved it and you killed them dead. And that was okay. And the fastest gun was the right one to win, unless he wasn't. And when I was growing up, the good guys always won. You could tell because they were wearing white hats. The bad guys were shot because they were wearing the black hats, for sure. But later, as anti-heroes, we moved further into the, the 70s and 80s, and there were some times when the bad guys won, and they just let it simmer. And boy, did moralists and teachers and parents' councils start to complain, because what about... What happens when a negative role model, when the bad guy does bad and gets away with it, and the kids are, like me, are sucking it in? Yeah, the black hats won this time. Boy, oh boy. Wrong message. Mm. So, this happened in my lifetime, and statistics, we keep statistics, and realize that the average... Uh, how did it go? I don't have my statistics right, but you can definitely find this on Google. I remember 1980, they said the average child, if you grew up in an average American home, the TV was on six and a half hours a day. 
And if you grew up in the 80s in an average American home, by the time you were 12, you had witnessed 3,000 murders, um, something like 2,000 robberies, and something like 5,000 acts of violence that may not have led to somebody dying or stealing. So an, an immense stream of human behavior that resulted in bloodshed, usually with guns, came into your living room, directly into your brain, through your eyes and ears. Like, there it was. So trained to violence, trained to kill, and understanding that that was totally normal, that it was expected, that it was perfectly okay, and the good guys won. And then the commercial comes on, and there's no real bloodshed. There's no ambulance. There's no grieving family. There's no coffin. There's no torn relatives and, you know, none of that. It was just the fastest gun, boom, boom, and switch to the commercial. So, a distorted view. The issue is what? Is that the way we solve conflict? Is that the way adults behave? Well, on TV, resoundingly, yes, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. When you have trouble, you've got a conflict, boom, boom, pull out a gun and shoot. There was no disclaimer at the end of the show saying, kids, this was fiction. Kids, this was scraps of a story designed to get you to the commercial so you buy the product that paid for the show. That's the message that didn't appear. And the commercials were not as dramatic or violent. They didn't go in as deep as the boom, 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 but it became normal. All right. There's a phrase that says, we become what we behold. Right? Whatever you see, you imitate. If you have the sense that this is an acceptable authority, we become what we behold. So, I um, don't live with the TV on in the monastery. I visited my mom back in Toledo, and like many folks, she tunes the TV to CNN or Fox, because in Toledo, that's your choice, pretty much. And I walked in the house and spent just 24 hours there, and the stream of sensational violent news with the crawler across the bottom of the screen and the camera zooming in, asking the family of the victims how it felt, you know, this egregious, totally needless bathing in suffering and sensation terrified me. I went out of the apartment with my shoulders up around my neck like this, looking to see where the guy with the gun was lurking to shoot me dead. You know, because I knew he was there. I'd seen it on the TV. Every bush had a murderer and a rapist, and somebody who was out to kill me. Because why? I'd seen it on TV. 
And it was so refreshing to really look around and realize that there wasn't somebody crouching with a gun behind every bush. And there wasn't a SWAT team ready to come and blow everything up. If you absorb that day after day after day after day, then the world starts to resemble a place where everyone has the potential to harm you. Right? All right, so you get the point. Where's the wholesome instruction on how adults deal with conflict and frustration? Who teaches us that? Maybe the answer is nobody. So indeed, somebody crosses you to the point where somebody cuts in front of you in traffic, you are authorized to provide force to blow them away or kick butt. That phrase is so, so harsh, right? That that's perfectly acceptable according to popular culture. But if you've ever had your butt kicked, you know how painful, shameful, degrading, shocking it is to have somebody apply their foot to your body like that. Like, it's not okay. Who says that's okay? You know, and yet we say it. We watch football, you know, hockey. So, here's the Buddha providing some grown-up, actual counter-evidence. What happens when conflict comes to our lives? What happens when something doesn't go my way? What's okay to do? What's choice A, choice B, choice C? What is choice brand X, the, the bad choice? So here's the Buddha saying, yeah, yeah, there are alternatives to kicking butt or wiping somebody out, lighting people up. They take the camera right into the, the cockpit of the attack helicopter as they pull the trigger and light somebody up, meaning killing them with high explosive, right? Why do we have that in our consciousness? Well sells product, commercially exploited. That's really reprehensible. That's not okay. Turn the TV off rather than watch somebody get lit up for commercial reasons. Okay, so here's the Buddha saying, what does he say? He says, yes, people have emotions. Indeed, we feel stuff. Sometimes those emotions are not going to be satisfied. For example, desire. I want this. If it doesn't come to me, says the Buddha, anger can result for sure. Desire unsatisfied, greed unsatisfied, can lead to frustration. Frustration lead to feelings of anger. Something rises fast, usually from your gut. Right? Anger has arisen. Anger has emerged. What do you do? What do you do with that? Situation. Real situation. And this is real life. And according to Master Hua, 
whether or not I can cultivate is determined in that split second before the anger rises. Real Kung Fu isn't in putting on the style of an enlightened Zen master. I got the clothes, I got the haircut. What else do I need? Get out of my way, damn it. Oops, oops, oops. Something's missing. It's not your haircut and your robe. It's can you act in that split second as the desire frustrated meets your feelings and emotions and that turn happens and up comes the chi, right? The Chinese call it sheng chi, literally giving rise, giving birth to, creating chi, energy. So what do I do? Can I handle it? Can I do something about it? That's cultivation. From Master Hua's point of view, that's it right there. So, skill at recognizing that state as it rises and then doing something about it. Okay, that's the whole deal. By and large, Shifu said, patience is the key. Patience is a little valued virtue in the world. Patient, be patient. Patient pretty much means loser, right? Got nothing else, nothing else going for you. Just be patient. Wait it out. Well, yeah. When what you're waiting out is called poison. Patience is good. It's a real strong intervention when that energy rises up from your stomach and it's about to come out in words at your spouse, getting angry at your boss, saying, thinking you're going to show that guy who cuts you off at high speed who's really in charge of the highway. Patience is powerful if you can use it right there on the spot. Um, In the Avatamsaka Sutra, the same sutra we're studying but a different chapter, our hero, we have a hero, his name is Sudhana, Shan Sai Tongzi. Sudhana goes to all these teachers to learn how to cultivate. And there's one, I think her name is Upasika Asha. She's early on in his visits to 52 teachers. And she comes out. She's wearing plain white robe. Nothing special. Plain white robe. No jewelry. Very unadorned. Her hair is pulled back kind of severely. But Sudhana looks around when he goes in. Somebody has told him that she's the real thing. She's, she's the teacher who needs to... She's got something that he needs to learn. So he goes in and he notices that she is in a very beautiful palace. Um, Michael... Everybody is adjusting to the cold. I just noticed everyone's putting something on. Would you see what's wrong? Maybe crank that up a bit more. Thanks. Are we being patient with the cold? Yeah, it's called putting on a blanket. It's my skill, it's my gung fu. Um, 
Sudhana goes in, and the palace where she's in is got jewels. It's perfectly clean. All of the assistants around the teacher, the Supasika Asha. Pasika, by the way, means laywoman. All of the assistants are splendid, noble, lofty-looking, virtuous, kind-hearted, good people. That's one thing he picks up on. All the people around this teacher look so wholesome and strong and good. So he notices that. She herself looks like plain Jane, but he sees real light in her eyes. He sees she's really something. Okay, so he comes out, and Sudhana, what does he do? He bows to her, and he says, Great sage, um, I have made the resolve to become a Buddha, but I don't know how to cultivate bodhisattva practices. Would you please teach me how it's done? And she says, Oh, you really have made the Bodhi resolve? You want to become a Buddha and save living beings? I have, he says. Ah, very good, she says. She snaps her fingers, and out comes a vase. It's not, it's maybe looks like this steel teacup. It's kind of plain looking, smaller. It's even smaller than this. And she says, good man, from this vase comes everything you need to cultivate the bodhisattva path. And he says, but it's so small, so ordinary looking. She says, indeed, watch. So she holds the vase up and she says, patience, Shanti paramita, she says, the perfection of patience. And from this vessel, these clouds emerge, sending forth limitless adornments, beautiful flowers, beautiful clouds, beautiful music, beautiful robes, beautiful jewels and gems, and palaces and pagodas and stupid. And... <clears throat> They all rain down in profusion the most beautiful adornments that Sudhana, the pilgrim, has ever seen, settling down on all sides. And it just goes on and on, this incredible, think of computer graphic-aided you know, scene. Of wonder, how would Pixar do it or Disney? You know, Beautiful things raining down on all sides, piling up, and just they're the finest of all, the finest quality. And Sudhana goes... Whoa, he says, that's awesome. And it all comes from that tiny vessel. She says, yes, indeed, good man. Such is the power of patience. That's what she says. Okay. So this is a true story. I'm giving you the sutra text, absolutely the way it is in the text, right? In other words, plain doesn't look like anything not fancy, not flashy, but what it produces is everything that you are waiting for. That's patience. It's so plain, because why? There's nothing there. Patience is the absence of reaction. Okay, road rage. Tonight, some jerk is going to cut off, cut in front of you to get to the exit, and 
scare you because it's so close, right? And you're going to go, however you're going to react. You're going to kick butt or want to kick butt, right? You're going to flip him off, shout at him, get his license plate, chase him off the exit, you know. Maybe not, it might be a gang guy. There might be another one behind him, watch out. So, you're going to want to do that, and you're going to go, now suppose I do get angry. Suppose I really let him have it. Then what? I'm going to feel like I bit down on something bitter. Didn't taste very good when I got it in my mouth. Wish I hadn't done that. Wish I'd been patient instead. Bit by bit, we get faster at applying patience when the anger rises. The reaction to anger is like a muscle that you train from flabby and weak to kind of buff to really strong. It only gets better by practice. But if you practice being patient, there will be a time when anger would have risen up and turned your face dark, storm clouds. But because you waited, the scene passes right by you. You don't react. And the person who you were going to blast is going to go, I can't believe it. You really meant it when you said you've been meditating and it's helping you be a better person. They're going to notice that you didn't get angry. A huge gate you pass through when you can do it. It's amazing to be able to hold your temper. You know what you feel like? You feel like you're in control. Maybe for the first time. It is a huge victory when you can hold your temper. This is what Master Hua called real cultivation. One time, I blew it again, right in front of him. Master Shen Hua gave me a test. I failed it. Got angry. He was blaming me for something I didn't do, right? I knew clearly that they had lost, they had lost the key. It wasn't me, but he scolded me. Why did you lose that key? Caused so much trouble for everybody. I didn't lose the key, Sherva. You know. Okay, next time. I'll try again later. You know, you just all over. The play is over, and I fail. I farted on stage, right? Uh, and it stinks. And so I said, Sherva, what does it take to not get angry? And his face was totally frank. And he said, it takes everything you've got. He said, right. that's the truth. Everything you've got. And you know, I nodded, yeah, because I felt terrible. Okay. One time I was able to not respond with fire. And he smiled and said, pass. Pass. I hadn't even realized I was being tested, but he said, pass, because I said, 
I don't know, Sherfu, I guess I wasn't paying attention. I'll try to do better next time. And when it rose, it didn't get past my belly. Because why? I was so tired of stumbling in front of my teacher. And that feeling of burned afterwards, I really wanted to get through that. And I was able to be patient instead. And he said, pass. And I knew that there was another test ahead later, but I had been able to not get angry. Oh, man, what a, what a relief and a feeling of accomplishment. What's the accomplishment? It's what I didn't do that was the victory, right? It's not the thing I did. It's what I didn't do. I didn't let the anger move me into action. I was patient instead. Patience is really really powerful. There's nothing there. It's simple, it's plain, but it holds your virtue there. In the Chan school, they're always saying, if you go out and gather firewood, let's say you're living in a mountain hut and you've got one of these REI-approved wood-burning fireplaces, okay, you got to gather up a cord of oak, hickory, whatever hot burning wood you have on the property. And you got it all stacked up very nicely. It's taken you two or three days to stack up all that wood. And then, carelessly, somehow a spark flies from the fireplace, catches on a leaf in the tinder, and the whole cord of wood burns up from that one spark. Right? And you go, oh, if only that one spark hadn't landed there, I could have saved two days' work and a whole winter of warmth. Got to start over. Go find more wood, stack it up, and try to keep the sparks off. Right? The Chan School says, a single spark can destroy a thousand days of wood gathering. A single thought of anger can destroy virtue gathered over a thousand days of cultivation. It's really true. So if you think about what can start a forest fire, you can think about what can start me getting angry. One thought of anger. Um, When we travel to Oregon, we go through a lot of forest. We go to Oregon every summer. It's really nice to, uh, to go up in the mountains. And one year, there had been a forest fire on, on the road, and I was shocked. The, the, it had happened just uh, about uh, three weeks earlier. I was totally shocked to see what was destroyed by the forest fire. Every living thing was destroyed by the forest fire on that mountainside. There were just blackened stumps. Every green thing was gone. It was amazing how the fire had just... Now, mind you, foresters will tell you, forest rangers will tell you, it's not a bad thing that in nature, periodically, like every 20, 30 years, the fire comes through and that ash re-fertilizes the forest. So we're talking about careless forest fires or human-caused matches and things. 
Okay, we had just gone through. Fire had been there. What I saw was blackened, burned ash. Not a green thing. Not a leaf. The animals were gone. The creeks were dried up because of the fire. And it was like the face of the moon only covered with soot and ash. It was shocking to see what a fire does to a landscape. Somebody in the car said, Dude, that's your mind after anger. It's like, oh yeah. I'd never connected it that way. And sure enough, if you have ever really let go with rage, kind of like, they deserve it, I'm going to let them have it, you know, kind of one of those, yeah, I'm going to get good and angry. That feeling after it burns through is your goodness gas tank is empty, right? You've got nothing green in your mind. You want to be kind, it's limited because you burned it off. That's the way that forest fire landscape looked because it had burned through. And my mind feels that way when I really let go with anger. I noticed that. Now, Master Hua would always say, so, he would say, you let yourself get angry. So, what are you going to do? Not cultivate? He would say, go back to work. Cultivate again. Start over. And don't get angry, he would say. One day during a sutra lecture at Gold Mountain, he was in the middle of the Avatamsaka lecture, and he spontaneously said, he said, I have a verse for all of you. It's called the don't get angry verse. And it went like, let's see if I can remember it. He said, In the past, my forest of merit and virtue. Oh, wrong, wrong, wrong. In the past, my Fire of ignorance, he called it. The fire of ignorance. Fa qi, shao qi, bi tian gao, burned higher than the heavens. Shao jin, gong de lin, it burned up the forest of merit and virtue. Wo jin shou ku bao. Now I'm suffering this bitter retribution. Now I'm in the dark of the forest fire aftermath. Okay. In the past, the fire of ignorance burned higher than the heavens. It wiped out my forest of merit and virtue, and now I'm taking the bitter reward, he said. And then he looked over, he said, what do you all think of that poem? Well, that's a good poem, Sherful. 
Who do you think I'm talking about? said Shrivu. Hope it's not me, Shrivu. I'm talking about myself, he said. I used to have a terrible temper. And he said, I know that feeling of the bitter reward. He said, so, if you don't like it, then cultivate. It'll all come back. And try your best to not get angry. Okay, Shervu. So, there you go. All right. So anger is the second of the three poisons. It's very useful to look at what made me angry. If you can trace it back. So, okay, so you feel it rising. You believe that it would be better to hang on to your forest of merit and virtue and not let it get burned away. But what do you do? Because it's, it's rising fast. Anger rises fast. Greed is slow. Greed is like, hmm, that would be really good if I had that new Mercedes-Benz red convertible that just looks so neat, you know. You think, oh, how can I get it? Well, I could sell my stock. I could sell my house. I, you know, what could I do? Stock's not worth much anymore. I could sell it. You, know. you start, that's greed is slow. Anger is like, <clears throat> Now, it just rises really fast. So, you know you don't want to get angry, but it rises. What do you do? One thing to do is find out what it was that caused the frustration. The point is, anger rarely rises without cause. Usually it's because something didn't arrives that I thought I needed, that I wanted, that I really wanted. So you don't get it. Now what could it be? Could it not be a thing, but maybe it's recognition? Somebody, instead of smiling at you, gives you that face, that (laughs) face, right? Somebody raises an eyebrow at you, the wrong eyebrow, the wrong time, right? And pushes your button. You ever have that happen? Oh, yes. Today, did it happen? Oh, yes. Now, what were you looking for? You were looking for maybe praise, face, recognition, the somebody's approval. And not only did they not give you approval, they gave you that snarky face. And up it rises. Okay. Helpful and useful to catch what it is you wanted. Because you're, you know you don't want to get angry, and that energy, that chi, is really strong. So what do you do? You say, if I got it, would I be happy? You've got to be quick with this and say, suppose I did get approval, praise, recognition, face, then what? Is it worth burning my forest of merit and virtue when I don't get it? Could I go instead? So what? Who needs it? Maybe that person who raised his eyebrow and gave me that look is afflicted. Maybe they're upset. It has nothing to do with me. Save your life. And cultivation. 
use whatever you've got to not get angry. Count to 10 or 15 or 50 or 100, whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to not get angry. Okay? So that's one way to look at it, is what was it that I didn't get that I wanted that made me angry? Okay. Greed for gain. I wanted to get that and I didn't. I lost the benefit I thought I should have and I'm pissed off. Okay, so you say, but I made myself a promise that I was not going to let the fire rise again. What do I have that is as strong as the energy that's rising? Hmm. What about patience? Can I be patient? Can I just say, huh, what I'm experiencing is a strong emotion, emoverate, moving. It's a kind of like being on a boat in the ocean. I feel something moving inside, and it wants to get out. It wants release. Can I say that is my precious energy that I need to get enlightened, can I recycle it? Can I simply reclaim it and do what they say, hui guang fan zhao? Can I reflect on myself, turn it back, recycle my own energy, compost my own energy, throw the lettuce leaves on the compost pile and cover it up with some grass clippings and let it turn into fertilizer for Bodhi. Yes, I can, but i got to be absolutely firm with my resolve that I'm not going to get angry this time. I've done it too much. This time, I'm going to turn it back, claim that energy. Nobody cares if I get angry or don't. I mean, my family probably does, but... Like, if I hold my temper, nobody's going to know except me and the Buddhas. Restore Bodhisattva is going to know, right, if I don't get angry. So I'm going to hold my temper, recycle that energy, claim it back, and get on with my life. Having avoided a war, you know, an atomic bomb. Okay. Now, Master Hua, if you guys were all monks and nuns, if my audience was Sangha, I would be explaining this differently because <clears throat> Master Hua made it really clear to us that when you cultivate the way full-time, if you are really working on your cultivation, what you are doing is taking the same energy that would be going out to making babies building houses, building companies, acquiring and managing big assets, all that outflowing, that's the word to use, outflowing energy is not outflowing now because you are cultivating. Is your chance to get angry 10, 100,000 times more than an ordinary person? Yes, it is. Your patience kung fu has to be 10, 100,000 times stronger than an ordinary person. 
if you are holding your energy in cultivation, that anger can come out like a laser and destroy things on the moon, you know. If you're a left-home person, your anger can be like an atomic bomb. You have to be way, way faster and stronger holding your temper than an ordinary person who is not particularly concerned about cultivation or whether they get angry or not. Angrier the better. Kick butt. Suppose you are meditating away. Boy, that anger can... And it can be because this person is chanting the Buddha's name off-key. You know. Oh, you know. So left-home people can get angrier than anybody, and it's hugely destructive. Boy, do I have stories about before I learned that lesson in Vancouver. Oh, being a brand-new monk in Vancouver and having these sweet old ladies move too slowly and having to wait behind them so we could get back when we're circling the Buddha and just blasting them and getting there and seeing the shock on their faces as the monk turns into a Ashura, Vajra, you know. Uh, it's like, Shrefu's angry. And then, oh, they never looked at me the same way again because they didn't expect me to explode like a volcano. Like, you know, oh, man. And luckily, Shrefu was on the spot to see, to say, don't you see what you did? Left-home people may not get angry. He said, you have to control your temper. People cannot stand your anger if it's cultivated. Once you let that go, it's super destructive. So that's the story for monks and nuns. But if you're a father of a family in that parental role of authority, you can't get angry all the time. Your kids can't take it. So it's not exactly the same as a monk or nun. It's pretty close because you got all the power. Kids are smaller than you are. Their minds are tender. If you get angry at your kids all the time, real good chance when they grow up, they will too. Why? You've shown them how adults behave. You're the model. This is what adults do, right? Who else do they have to reflect on? You're the full-time adult in their family. And you've given them, pardon me, you've given them a turd wrapped up in gift wrapping. When they open it up, it stinks. Right? Nice gift, Dad. So, now... Here's a really, I think, important principle which came clear to me um, when I was visiting a diamond merchant in Holland. Who knew that Belgium was the number one, Belgium and Holland are where the diamonds go through, Antwerp, that port. So they had a diamond museum and they showed where diamonds come from. Diamonds come from, everybody knows, coal. 
right? Coal, black coal, hard coal, produces diamonds if you put it under big heat. Really put it under heat for a long time and pressure, diamonds come out. Where does the coal come from? Green plants, hydrocarbons, right? So dandelions, ferns, grass, compress it, hard, hot heat for a long time, turns into coal. Keep pressing the coal and turn into diamonds. Okay? In other words, diamonds come from plants. Added pressure and heat. So, you don't get diamonds without coal. You don't get coal without plants. Right? You add pressure and heat. You get diamonds out of plants. Hydrocarbons are the key through the whole process. Plants, coal, diamonds, all made of organic compounds, hydrocarbons. But you've got to have pressure and heat and time to make that transformation. Okay, where does the diamond of wisdom come from? It comes from concentration. Wisdom comes from concentration. Where does concentration come from? Precepts, virtuous character. But you have to add the heat and pressure and time of cultivation of the Dharma, proper forms. Emotions are the coal. Emotions are the plants, right? Samadhi is the coal. Wisdom is the diamonds. Nobody gets to wisdom without emotion. If we didn't get angry, we would never get enlightened. Don't be afraid of your anger. Turn your anger. Transform it. Put it under heat and pressure using patience and it becomes samadhi instead of kick butt. It becomes samadhi. And that samadhi over time becomes wisdom. There is no wisdom without emotion, but you have to put it under pressure, heat and time. That message I like because it doesn't make me feel bad and horrible and rotten and nasty because I get angry. It makes me feel like I fooled myself one more time and it got past me and my gung fu was not strong enough. I was too slow to catch it. Or else I didn't care. I like to get angry. But that feeling, after a while, you go, enough. That burned out feeling in my heart and the look on the kid's face after I blasted him another time isn't worth it. Hurts. I want to do something different this time. So what do you do? You say, okay, I'm going to use patience and not get angry. You've got samadhi. Samadhi over time turns to wisdom. Same process, same stuff. Emotions are odi, but you got to turn them. Plants are diamonds, but you got to go through the coal phase. Then it works. Okay.
That's Sherfu's gift. And who would think that when you come to the monastery, you get talking characters, the lesson. That's so unexpected. Time to transfer the merit. How are we doing with our cable mic here? Is this guy up, Kenny? Is okay, got it. Thank you. Please dedicate the merit with a wish. The farther your mind goes, the farther the merit is shared. Oh. 